0: Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. If you've got your Bible, can you go to Philippians chapter 3? We're going to be continuing our sermon series in the book of Philippians entitled Joy, Joy, Joy. If you've not been with us or you've missed it, you can catch up with some of them online. We've been studying this great letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi You can catch up with some of the stuff uh, we've covered already. We're almost at the end. I think we've got three weeks left, this week and two more, and then we will have finished this book in time for Christmas. Before we get into that, Jeremy, who spoke last week, mentioned uh, in his sermon that I like to run. It's one of those things I do for exercise um, and kind of general health benefits. I like to run every so often just to keep myself in shape. But What I wanted to just clarify with you is that's not always been the way in my life. In fact, before we moved to Sutton Coalfield eight years ago to start Real Life Church, I never ran at all. I mean, I'd run if someone was chasing me, um, but uh, maybe for a bus or a train, but otherwise I would not, I couldn't see the point of it. It It wasn't something I would do. And if someone asked me, I would look at them blankly, why would I want to do that? So it's not always been... Um, my kind of practice. But when we moved here, we had this event in town, I don't know if you're aware of, called the Great Midlands Fun Run, which runs in the center of town every year. Thousands of people enter it, thousands of people come and watch it, and as we were starting the church, we wanted to get involved in stuff that was just going on in the community, and we decided we would enter... The Fun run, and kind of just be part of it and support it and enjoy it, and we also wanted to raise some money for other groups outside of ourselves, just to bless them, be good to them, um, which was all a good idea and We got together as a little team, as the church was at the time very small we said let 's do this and it was a great idea, and everyone was very excited and then the reality hit for to enter the fun run, you have to actually be able to run it and finish it and the route I then found out to my horror is eight and a half miles long, and it 's up hills there are quite a few big hills in the fun run if you know the route there are the hills in town and the one of them was told me was called cardiac hill because apparently someone the urban myth is that had a heart attack while trying to run up it. I'm like why am I doing this well so it's suddenly it's suddenly this panic set in with me well actually if I've entered that I've got to be able to try and get round that and I talked with my wife, Melanie, thinking, can I pull out? Am I like, can I just, you know, have a... have oh, got a hammy, you know, one of those. She said, no, you're the leader of the church. You've been well got to do this. Plus, I need you to stay in shape because I don't want you to be, I don't want you to let yourself go as we're getting older. We've moved here. We're starting a church. We've got two small boys. You need to be able to keep up with them as they grow up and stuff. And so I started to train. I got an app on my phone that was to train you and you, you Downloaded on your phone this free app, and it said it was start. You start from your sofa, and then it was going to get me up to ten kilometres worth of running, which I thought was ridiculous. So I put my headphones in, and I got it, and it, it, you come out your house, and it said you have to run for a minute, which I thought, how long? So I ran to the top of my road and it almost killed me getting to the top. Then it gives you a break and says you can walk for a minute. Oh, thank goodness. And then after that it says you've got to run for another minute. And slowly over the days and weeks I did this, it built up. But I want to tell you something. It was hard work. It wasn't easy. And because the fun run's kind of June, I had to start training in January. And it was one of those years where the snow came. And at the top of our road where we live at the time, there's like a a playing field and it had a football pitch in it or a couple of football pitches. So I'd run the road and then I'd kind of run around that as part of my training. And there was snow. And I tell you, getting out the door for that was hard work. I had to, there was some brief exchange of views that happened in our house between my wife and I about whether I should go out and actually do this. And it was like, you've got to go and train. And so I'd go out and I'd run in the snow and it would just be horrible. But over time, it slowly built up and I became Better and better, and I could run for further and further. I could run for two minutes. I could run for three minutes. But all the while I did it, it was just hard work. It was tiring, exhausting. The fuss I made when I came home, it was like I'd won an Olympic medal. Do you know what I mean? Just uh, I said, Mel didn't give me enough kudos. I would then express my displeasure at her. To which then she would express the fact that I've actually haven't run that far. You're not Mo Farah, do you know, what I mean? but I'm like Mo Farah. I would say, and it would go back and forth like that, and so this would happen. But gradually, through the tiredness and getting up early in the morning, trying to balance it around, well, I kind of got better and better at it. And what was motivating me was several factors. One, I needed to get round this course and up these big hills. Number two, I didn't want to look a muppet in front of everyone else in the church. But I've been saying, let's all get involved in the fun run and then not be able to finish. So there was definitely a humiliation and shame factor. I didn't want to fail it. And so I had to keep focusing on the prize. And I knew at the end of the fun run, when you finish, they give you a a medal that says, well done. And I knew when I got that medal, boy, that's going on Facebook. That's going everywhere. I'm going to wear that around just so everybody knows I did it. And so I kept myself focused on the goal, and I kept going, and you'll be pleased to know I did it. And strangely enough, I enjoyed it, so I carried on doing it. But it was hard work, and what we're going to look at today in the next part of our series in Philippians is this whole thing about keeping going when it's tough. We call this one joy in exhaustion. And if you've ever done any kind of training, physical training, you know it can be tough, but it can... Go across many things that we face in life that are tough. How do we keep going? How do we keep finding joy in that? We've looked at many different situations so far in our uh, study of Philippians. And today it's looking at joy in exhaustion. And Paul, interestingly, in this section of the letter, uses the image of a runner, which would have been a common image they'd have seen kind of in the games that they would have held at the time. People have known about this Athletic exercise, running was one of the key events that they would have um, been involved in. So they were familiar with it, and Paul uses that in this passage. So we're going to read. We're going to start at verse 12, and I'm just going to read to the end of the chapter. So it's going to appear up on the screen. Uh, if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can, but I'm going to read it to you. It says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables Himself—sorry, enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. All right, I think that one's it. Okay, what we're going to look at today is... This whole area of joy and exhaustion. Paul is going to the end of his letters. If you notice in that passage, he says brothers three times. He's talking to the church in Philippi that he knows and loves. He's planted this church. He's seen it grown. He's now in prison in Rome, a long way away from them, and his heart is for them. So there is a, a tenderness to what he's saying so at the end of his letter. He's giving these final remarks. He doesn't know if he's going to see them again. He doesn't know if he's going to get executed. He's hoping he doesn't. We've seen that. He wants to go back to them. He's not sure it's going to look like that. And what he's looking at in this letter, we're going to look at two things that Paul has intertwined in this letter. The first one is the do of the Christian life, the effort that we should put into it, the things that we should be striving and straining after. But we're also going to look at the done. Not done, done. Done. We've had a debate at home with my wife that when I say done, she hears dung. So when we have the do and the dung, it doesn't mean what I think I want you to take away, all right? So can we agree that when I say done, whatever you hear is D-O-N-E, all right? Not D-U-N-G. Thank you for that. Done, rather than dung, okay? The do and the done. Make sure you spell it in your notes correctly, because otherwise your notes will not make sense in years to come when you look back at them. So Paul... If anyone who has uh, an opportunity to give up in the Christian life, it would be Paul. The Apostle Paul, we've seen already that he's talked about some of the things he's been through. But if you look at the New Testament as a whole, you find out he's been through a tremendous amount of stuff. He will have traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles by foot to proclaim the gospel, or at best maybe by the back of a donkey. He's planted churches. He's gone by boats across the sea. He has suffered so many setbacks from people who've forsaken him. He's been in prison. He's been beaten. He's been lashed. He's been stoned. He's been through shipwrecks. And he still keeps going. And on top of that, he's got the pressure of the churches he's past planted and he's pastorally responsible for. And the, the, the people who don't yet know Jesus, he's just he's got a burden for he wants to preach to them. If anyone could quit, it would be the Apostle Paul. He could tap out, he could throw in the towel. But we get to the end of his life and he's still saying, We've got to keep going got to keep going. And so he's very much into the do of what you've got to do. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep going. But at the same time, there is very much a done. There is very much a done in his life that actually is all based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as he finishes off this letter, he's speaking to the church in Philippi, and he weaves these two things together to the church, that they must have both. They must have the done of God's finished work in Christ, his death on the cross, and what that means for us. And that's what we rest in. That's what we put our foundation on. That is that, that firm foundation. There's not shifting sands that we've sung about. But at the same time, out of that must come grace-driven effort to pursue after Jesus. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at a goal to be attained, a savior to be awaited, and an appeal to be obeyed. First one, a goal to be attained. Now, Paul begins this section... He says, not that I've achieved or I've attained what it is, and that's talking about what's just come before. He talks about um, in Christ's resurrection from the dead and being like him in his sufferings and attain that. He says, I haven't got that yet. I know that's coming, but I haven't got that, so I'm not already perfect. So what do I do? I press on. He immediately goes into the do. He says, this is what you've got to do. You've got to press on. Press on and follow Jesus. You don't just sit there. It requires energy, exertion. Effort. It's something you have to get up off your bottom, off the sofa, get out the door with your running shoes on, and get going. Even if it's raining and snowing outside, you've got to get going. There is a pressing on that you have to do. And the image here is the runner. That's what he would have had in mind as he talks about it. And he talks about a runner in a race. When they begin their race at the games they may have had at the time, the, the church may have seen it. They may have heard about it. They've had athletic competitions where they would have run and the runners line up there and they are totally looking forward to where they're going. You don't see runners looking around behind them or to the side at the beginning of the race. They're only looking forward. They're only going after what, it, what they want, which is the prize, the goal, the finish to get there. And he's saying, we've got to be like that. We are to run with every effort. We're to pursue what's going on. What you also notice about runners is they can't quit at any point. They don't stop it's fascinating, when you watch team sports, say like football, rugby, there are moments of pause, there are moments of respite where the ref comes in and gives a signal, the ball goes out of play, it's got to come into play, someone scores and we reset the game. Running's not like that, you just have to keep going. Every step, you've got to keep moving forward, they don't have breaks in running races, you just keep going, it doesn't matter how long they are, you just keep going and that's what he's saying, he says you've got to keep going, you've got to press on, you don't get distracted. By what's to the side, what's to the left. You don't worry about what others are doing. You don't worry about the crowd are doing. You don't worry about anything around you or what's behind you. You keep pressing forward. You keep going. You keep focusing on the finish line. You keep focusing. That's the goal. What got me around that fun run was the medal at the end. When I get to the end, I'm going to get this medal. That's the goal. That's the finish. Crossing the line. That's what I want. It might be the timing, or whatever it is. But you've got to focus on it. You've got to keep going. And there is a prize he says, "It's a prize. I look for that prize at the end. And for running a race, you might get a T-shirt, you might get a medal. For back then, they would often, the victor only got a laurel wreath that they put on their head. That was it. And the acclaim that came with that. And actually for him, he's saying the prize is so much bigger. We know as Christians, the prize at the end of our race is knowing Jesus himself for eternity. And Paul has already said that. And he said, that's the ultimate goal, knowing Christ for yourself. That is what he is focusing on. And he is urging the church, keep going don't stop. Don't quit. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't get caught up in other things. Keep going. Keep putting energy in. Keep putting effort in. But then he adds this at the end. What does it say at the end? I've got to find it. Verse 14. It says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that he was called by the grace of God. He knew that he was a sinner saved by grace. He knew that he was an enemy of the cross. He persecuted the cross. He's already put that out last week or the week before we saw that. He even wrote it out. I persecuted the church. We know his story from the book of Acts. He was a vicious and violent man. He was responsible for the death of Christians. He was an enemy of God. Yet God met him. The risen Christ came to him on the road to Damascus and called him and said, I have called you to be my representative to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. They need to know about me and I'm sending you to them. That is what his life was based on, the call of God. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus here, you have been called by God. You're not here because you're smarter than somebody else. You're not here because you're more holy or nicer than someone else. You're not here because you've worked harder than someone else. You're here because God called you. Your salvation is based on his grace and his mercy, not on you. And Paul knew that. He knew that his life was based on the upward call of Christ. And he's already said that all the things that make him a super Christian... He counts as use the correct word now dung, that one, the D.U. and that's what he counts it as. It's rubbish, because he knows it's all based on Christ and His finished work. And so the done of this is actually I put all this effort in, I strain after the goal, but the reason I do that is because Jesus first called me. When I was an enemy, when I was far from him, when I was going the opposite way, he broke into my life with grace and mercy, saved me, turned me around, and now I pursue him wholeheartedly. But my pursuit of Jesus comes only out of the fact that he has saved me. And so, yes, we should make effort. Yes, you should strain church in Philippi. Yes, you should go after it. But it's all based on the grace of God, the grace of God of Christ in his death and resurrection. That's what we should do. And as we go after this great goal of knowing Jesus himself, we do it from a position that the, the work has already been done. It's like starting a race and knowing, by the way, you've already won. Your name's already on the, the plaque at the end. You've just got to go the course. That's what it's like for us. And he says in verse 15 and 16, to finish that, he says, for those of you um, who are mature, think this way. If anything otherwise, you're This is mature thinking. And if you don't think like this, you've got to pursue God, grow up, and you will think like this that we're to be people, based on the finished work of Christ, we are to pursue Jesus with maximum effort. Everything that we've got, we go after him. We don't sit back and do nothing. We realize what Jesus has done, we enjoy it, and then we pursue him wholeheartedly, passionately. Next section, it says there's a savior to be. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. He's gone back to the do here. You have to imitate me, to mimic, to act like, be like, to copy, to say you're like that. Have you ever played that game with your kids? Or well, they played it with you where they try and copy everything you do? And you just say, stop that. And they go, stop that. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? My boys do this with me. They look cute on the outside, but not always. And they mimic you. And Paul's saying, do that. Mimic me. Be like me. Imitate me. What you see me doing, you do. And the idea is like a picture of a teacher teaching a student, not just giving them information, but actually training them to act and think and walk and talk like them. It's like you're replicating yourself. And Paul is saying that to the church. He says, imitate me. You've seen me. I've been amongst you. You've witnessed my life. You know what you're doing. You know what's happening with me now. You kind of, you're aware of me, be like me. They are to imitate Paul, particularly in the behavior of the gospel and how they live their lives, but also the suffering that he has gone through for the sake of Jesus and how he's endured that for Jesus. They're meant to copy that too because we know the church in Philippi themselves were under suffering. There was something going on. We don't know exactly what, but they were facing persecution and opposition. But Jesus is saying, imitate me. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep your eyes fixed on that. So we're supposed to do that, and he contrasts his life then with others, who he describes as enemies of the cross. He's saying, "You imitate me. You know what my life is like." He said, "But there are others out there who don't live according to the ways of God. They don't give, live according to the ways of His Word. They don't follow Jesus. They live contrary." And he describes me. He says, "They're enemies of the cross," which means the work of Jesus on the cross for them means nothing. It's something they, 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 they despise, they reject. No, that's not what we're interested in. And he says then, after that, he says, their end is their destruction. He's saying, actually, those who walk as enemies of the cross, who reject Jesus, ultimately, they're not going after a prize of knowing Jesus. Actually, what they're going to do is they're going to face destruction. They're going to face judgment. They're actually doomed to a terrible end. And he says, their God is their belly. Which basically is this way of saying they live for the present. They live for what is now. They live for what they can consume right here, right now. Whatever they can get their hands on, that's their focus. That's their life. What they can eat, what they can drink, what they can possess. The house they live in, the cars they drive, the clothes they wear, all the kind of... the. Um, things that we pursue in this life, he's saying that's what they're after. Their God is their belly. That's what they worship. That's what they want. That's their focus. That's what they give their time and energy. Well, that's what they sacrifice for. That's their God. And he says they glory in their shame, which means the things that should be shameful under God's word, things he says don't do, they pursue wholeheartedly the way they live their life with their money, sexually, all those things they go after, but actually they should be ashamed Because God's word says this is how we should live in purity, this is how we should live in righteousness. They reject all things and ultimately says their mind is on earthly things, which sums up the previous two. Their mind is on the temporary, The mind is on the now, their mind is on the instant, their mind is on what they can get right now. And Paul says he weeps over these people because they live opposite to the ways that Jesus would have them live. He is opposite to them and commentators aren't quite sure who he's talking about here who are these people they might be people who profess some kind of faith or some kind of spirituality but actually their lifestyle doesn't match it at all it might be people outside the church who've just totally rejected the message of the gospel paul met many of them and they just live lives totally contrary but either way he's saying don't live like that imitate me not like those people because ultimately Anything they're going to gain will be in this life. It will be very temporary, and ultimately at the end, they will not receive anything. There will be no, no glory for them, no prize for them at the end. Instead, you should imitate me. You should set your mind on thinking about the way I've lived, thinking about what I've taught you, the thing, thinking about the way I've modeled my life, and look to that and try and mimic and copy that, the way I've suffered for the gospel, the way I've lived my life out with Jesus as number one, in my life and that's what they're to do but then he goes on to the done he says actually that's what you're to do to imitate me and don't live like these things but then he, he comes back and says actually because our citizenship is in heaven and this is talking about something that's already true for the, in the lives of the Philippian believers you are citizens of heaven and what Paul is doing, he's done this several times already in the letter, he's playing on the fact that Philippi as a city was a special Roman colony if you've been following the series, this would have come up. The citizens of Philippi, due to some historical things and a battle that was there, and they had done very well, they were granted special privilege that although being hundreds of miles from Rome, the citizens were given Roman status and Roman privilege legally in the law and in terms of property, inheritance, and protections that they got. They were a privileged bunch, and they enjoyed that. They were very like pro-Rome. Rome is wonderful. We're superior to other places around about who aren't Roman citizens. They're just Roman subjects. We're citizens of Rome, so we could go to Rome and we could demand things of the emperor and all that kind of stuff. They love that. They enjoy it. And Paul just cuts across that. He's already done it once. He said, actually, your citizenship is in heaven. You're not a colony of Rome. You're a colony of heaven. That's what you should be living like. That's your connection This right you have, this thing you have because you were born there, is actually there's something bigger and greater than that. Your citizenship is in heaven. You've been born again from above. That's where you should put your focus. That's the ultimate authority you should look to. Not the fact that Caesar is Lord, but that Jesus Christ is Lord. He even sticks it in there. We await a saviour who is Jesus Christ Lord. He is your ultimate authority. He is the one you look to. Now because that's a done deal and you're already a citizen of heaven, if you have become a Christian, here today it could have been for 5 minutes or 50 years, we all have citizenship. It's the same with a child who's born here. They have the rights of a citizen of this nation and you could have lived this nation all your life. It's still the same. You still have the same legal standing, same legal protection, same legal rights. And actually, Paul's saying, actually, our ones are because of, we have our citizenship in heaven. And that is a done deal for us. And as a result, we await that kind of coming. We await that's happening. We wanna, we're waiting and we're living our lives according to that. We don't live our lives according to the pattern of this world. Whatever the, the culture says, go. Whatever Rome says is okay. Whatever the emperor says, go. We don't live like that. We live like we are citizens of heaven. And we are looking forward to a Savior who is going to come. And what's going to happen when he comes? It says he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So Paul there is nice subversive language saying don't follow the emperor as the ultimate authority. Jesus is the ultimate authority because he's the one who's going to come and transform us. He's the one that we should be looking towards. He's the goal that we should be going after because we're citizens of heaven. There is a day coming when our lowly bodies, these earthly vessels that we're living, that are getting frail and old and breaking down day by day, will one day be completely transformed. And we will have a glorious heavenly bodies. If you want to read more about that go to 1 Corinthians 15 and you read about the resurrection when Paul expounds that to the church in Corinth and he says you've got this perishable body but one day it'll be raised imperishable and the dead will rise with Christ and we will be with him forever and our lives will be completely transformed and our bodies will be transformed and that is what we are to wait for and church this is this is your right as citizens of heaven this is going to happen to you and as a result of that therefore you live In a certain way, you act a certain way. You imitate me. This is how it's to work together. And no matter what you're facing in this world, we wait with anticipation for Jesus to return and to transform our body. Last one, an appeal to be obeyed. Last line, he says there at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm Thus." In the Lord, my beloved. We've already had brothers a couple of times. He throws it in again and he describes them as whom I love and long for. Jesus is, sorry, Paul is passionate for this church. He loves them, he wants to be with them, he, he's homesick for them. He describes them as the joy and crown of what he's doing, of his apostleship, of his planting churches, of what, what's happened there, what God has done in them. He loves and they give him joy. There's that theme coming through again that what God has done through him in Christ gives him joy in all the hard work he's facing. But then, he comes, then comes the do and the done at the end. He says, stand firm. The idea, the picture like of a soldier standing in a battle line there. The enemy are approaching. And if you ever watch the old films and all the soldiers when they're waiting for the enemy to attack, what do the commanders yell at them? Hold the line. Hold the line. They're saying, stand firm. Do not give an inch. They're charging. They're coming. They're coming at you. They're not going to show you any mercy. There's going to be a clash of worlds, a clash of cultures. Swords and shields are going to go smashing into each other. But you stand firm. Do not give an inch. Do not give any ground. And if someone's trying to push you and you're trying to resist, it requires energy and effort in that, so Roman soldiers were actually designed, and when they did the, the reforms, they actually had studded shoes. They had those lace-up sandaly things, but they were studded so they could push their feet into the ground and stand firm. And when they held the line against the barbarians or whoever was attacking them, all the shields were locked together. They could withstand a charge and then counterattack the enemy. And Paul's got this kind of in mind. Stand firm. The world is coming to shape you, to attack you, to um, push you into its mold, to say live like this, pursue these things, go after these things. And he's saying stand firm. Don't give an inch. Don't give any ground. When it says this is good and God says this is bad, you say it's bad. No matter what comes your way, the flack you get, anything that happens, you are to resist. You're to hold up. You're not to just give up on anything. But then there's also the done in there, because where do you stand firm? It says, in the Lord. We stand firm in the Lord, not in our own strength, not in the fact that we're smarter or better or well-educated or more holier than anybody else. We stand firm in the Lord in what he's done. We boast in the cross of Christ, not in our own wisdom. We boast in Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and the fact that he's ruling and reigning, not that we've got anything worked out. We boast the fact that he saved us in spite of our sin, not in how good or smart we were. We're to stand firm in the Lord. We're to stand firm in what he's done and what he's said and what he's called us to and how he's saved us and how he's transformed our lives. And so Paul, even ending there, he's remind the church, yes, you've got to do some stuff, but actually it's all based on a firm foundation of Christ. It's based on who he is, what he's done, how he's saved you, and where he's leading you. Let's finish with a couple of things, and then we're going to worship. A couple of points of application. I want to ask you a couple of questions. How do we keep going when life is tough, when we're exhausted, when pressure is coming on us, when all the things are crowding around, and it seems relentless from work and family and the world, and Everything's coming on and you just feel like, how do I keep going with this life? How do I keep going? Well, the first question is, are you enjoying the done? Just check I spelled it correctly. Good, yep. Are you enjoying the done? Do you know what Jesus has done for you and are you living in the light of it? Do you know that you are loved with an everlasting love? Do you know that you've been saved from right judgment from what you deserve? Do you know you have been called to be his for eternity? Do you know that you've been forgiven for all your wrong and the price for that has been paid by Jesus? Do you know you have been set free from the power of sin and it has been dealt with in your life? Do you know you've been adopted into God's family and he is your father and you are his beloved child? Do you know that you are a citizen of heaven with a future that is completely secure in him? Do you know you have an internal inheritance to look forward to that can never spoil, perish, or fade? Do you know there is a new heaven and a new earth coming and you get to live and dwell on that? Do you know there is a day in coming where you will be free from sickness and pain and suffering and death? Do you know that you have even now the Holy Spirit, God himself, with you? And he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Do you know that you have a purpose and a hope in him in this world? Do you know you have a calling to love and serve him in this world right now do you know that you have the ear of the creator of heaven and earth and if you do know that are you enjoying it are you just living in the light of the goodness of that and you might say that's too good to be true yeah that's why it's called good news That's why we proclaim it. That's why we get excited about it. That's why we keep going on and on about it. Do you believe those truths? Because I haven't made them up. They're all written in God's Word. Do you know that you can call on the creator of heaven any time, any day, any moment for health and grace and strength to face whatever you're going through? Do you know you just can enjoy that? You are not more loved if you do something than if you just sit now on your bum for the next hour and a half, Jesus will still love you the same and still call you his child and still want to be with you and want to know you. There is nothing you can do to add or take away from what Christ has done in your life. That is wonderful. And that is something, as people of God, that we should take time every day to just enjoy. Before the world begins and life rushes in, just sit there and enjoy that that I am a child of God, that I have been saved, that I have been redeemed, I am now righteous and holy, and it's based on nothing I can do. And because it's based on nothing I can do, I can't lose it. I can't misplace it. I can't forget, where did I put my righteousness? You know, oh dear, where's the telephone to God? I've lost it, I can't speak to Him. No, you have it all with you all the time. He has saved you, He has redeemed you. If you don't know Jesus today, none of that is true for you. In fact, the opposite is true. You have to face God alone. You have to face him for your own crimes, your own sin, your own rebellion. You will face right judgment for that. And I want to offer you the opportunity today. If you don't know Jesus here, you need to repent of your sin. You need to turn away. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation in this life and in the next. And if you don't know him, I'd love to chat with you at the end. I'd like to talk to you about what that means. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love you to introduce you to my Savior and yours and get that dealt with. But if you are a Christian here, sit and enjoy those truths. It's why we sing every week and praise Him because we want to get that stuff in us. We want to lift his name. We want to remind ourselves. That's why we always begin our meetings with proclaiming truth in song. Cause we want to come in, no matter what's happened out there. That the first thing we do when we come in is remind ourselves, oh, thank you. He's got it covered. He's got it sorted. He's the one in control. I don't have to worry about that. He's the one who's got my salvation sorted. I don't have to worry about saving myself. He's the one who can deal with everything. Last one. Are you active in the do? Are you active in the do? Let's enjoy the done and sit and revel in that. But based on what has just happened and what Paul says, are you active in the do? Are you going about working out what God has done in your life here and now? The passage says that we are to forget what lies behind. Have you dealt with the things in your past? We've all got things in our past. We've got hurts and pains Things that have done to us. We've got things we've done that we regret and think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did that happen? We've got things in our past that currently affect our presence. The way we're brought up. Things have happened through work, through friends, relationships, all those things. Have you dealt with them well so that in God you can forget what lies behind because a runner can't run the race if they're always looking backwards. They will get lost. They will fall over. They will crash into other runners. They just, it just won't work. You have to be looking forward. Have you dealt with those pains and bitterness? Have you forgiven those from your past? Have you prayed? Have you, have you acknowledged what they've done, how it made you feel, then release them from um, your rights to kind of punish them and handed that over to God? Have you said, God, I forgive them. This is how they made me feel. I just want to release them to that. I forgive them for what they've done. If you know there are things in your life, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love you to do it. You don't even need us. You can just talk to Jesus about it. But if you want to stand with someone, we'd love to pray with you about that. If there are things in your life, pains and hurts, have you processed them? Have you dealt with them? Have you brought them to God? What about the things that you know you've done? Are you keeping short accounts with God? If you come here this morning and think, actually, do you know what? There's things that happened this week, even this morning, that I need to get right with God, that I need to to do something about. I need to seek forgiveness. I feel ashamed, but actually I need to go to him because he's the only place I can get this dealt with. Is that something in your life? You need to deal with that. And then it said, the passage says that we are to strain forward to what lies ahead. We're to do everything we can to push forward into God. So here's a few things. Are you reading your Bible and praying? Is that a habit in your lifestyle? Is that something that you've put in place? I imagine, I think it's fair to say that Paul would have done that. And he says, Imitate me. We're to do that. Make a priority of reading our Bible and prayer. We've made it a priority as a church this year. That's what we should be doing on a daily basis. Are you someone who is full of the Spirit on a regular basis, praying every day? God, fill me with your Spirit. That I may go out and serve you and model you to the community that I'm a part of, wherever I find myself. Are you part of our church community here? If this is your local church and you're part of it. Are you doing everything you can to get plugged into the community of God? Because that's where he wants you. He wants you as part of his community, as part of his church community. Being known by other people, knowing them, building relationships, serving, loving, caring for one another. Because that's where we're shaped and formed into the image of Christ. As we knock into one another, as we learn from one another, as we grow one another, as we love and serve one another. Are you part of a life group? If you're not, get in one. Talk to one of our host team. Get processed on that. Are you making the most of what God has called you to right now? Think about your situation. Where you work, whatever that work is. It could be paid employment. You're raising kids. It could be voluntary work. It could be a whole bunch of things. Are you making the most of that? It could be, what about your family situation? You're single. or You're married and you've got kids. God has called you right now to that situation. Are you using that and looking at that as an opportunity to serve him in that place? Are you doing everything you can to be the best God has called you to be, whatever that blank is, best office worker, best doctor, best teacher, best whatever, best mum, best child, anything. Are you doing that? Because God has put you in there to serve him for his glory. And to communicate his grace and his love to those around you. Are you telling others about what you've learned about Jesus? Because it's not about you. It's not about your eloquence. It's not about how smart you are, how well you can get out. All you're doing is simply saying, this is what God has done in my life. Let me tell you about him and how he's changed me. Are you telling others about him? Are you seeking to be good to those around you? To love and serve those, your neighbors, your colleagues, your boss, are <clears> the <throat> parents you bump into on the playground, all those environments. Are you seeking to love and be good to them? How about how you use your money? Are you using your money for kingdom purposes? Is the priority in how your income is divided up? Is God's kingdom number one on that list or is it some afterthought or even not on it? Actually, I'm going to consume it on myself or am I seeking to honor and glorify God with my money? And ultimately, are you focused, is your life focused on the prize? Is your life focused on the goal? Is your life focused on the finish line of where you're going? Because we've already looked at joy and death. We've worked out that we have a very short moment on this earth. The Bible describes our life as like being the dew that comes in the morning and is gone in the morning. It's that brief compared to eternity. We have a few short years. And is our life ultimately orientated to God and his kingdom? And are we straining and looking forward to that and knowing one day we will have to stand and face him and give an account for what we've done with this life? We know that we have an advocate in heaven, so that is secure, but the parable of the talents tells us actually we need to make good with what we've got down here while we're waiting for those things. We're going to stop. Do you mind standing up? I'm going to pray. The band come back up. And we're going to spend some time enjoying God and what he's done for us. And I imagine he'll speak to us as he so often does, and then we might have to do something. But we're going to start with done. So do you want to just close your eyes? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your finished work. Lord, I want to thank you that as we leave this place, we're just as loved as we came in. Lord, I want to thank you that what you did in our life to get us here stands firm as we leave. Lord, thank you that nothing we do today adds to that. We're just as loved, we're still your children, we're just as forgiven, we're just as cared for as when we came in, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that, Lord God, and I pray that those truths would grip our lives. I pray that we would meditate on them today, tomorrow, this week, that we would just find moments to stop and remind ourselves that I am loved by the living God, that I have been saved by the living God, that I am now righteous and holy because of what Jesus has done. I have a Savior who is watching over me, Lord. I have a future that is secure. Brexit or no Brexit, my future is secure. I have a citizenship in heaven that is way better than citizenship of this nation. And that is secure too, Lord. And we can enjoy the privileges of that. I have a Father in heaven who loves me and I can speak to you about anything, Lord. I thank you for those truths, Lord Jesus. And Lord God, as we enjoy that, God, I pray you give us grace to do for your kingdom. Not to earn, not to, to make ourselves more acceptable or better because we just can't. But Lord, give us grace to press on. Give us uh, grace to strain towards that goal. Give us grace to leave behind the things in our life that would pull us back, thinking and thoughts and habits and things that would just pull us away. Lord, give us grace to deal with pain and hurt and unforgiveness in our life. Give us grace for that, Lord God. Give us grace to read our Bibles daily, to pray, to be part of your community, to love and serve one another. For your glory, Lord Jesus. God, let us all be found still running hard at the end of our life. Not tapping out, not giving up, not throwing in the towel. God, let us imitate Paul as he imitates you, Lord Jesus. Let us follow in his model, suffering for the gospel where we need to. Straining on after you. Caring and loving for those around us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, now come fill your people, Lord fail your people, Lord.